It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app on a Monday. A Misery Monday. Our fifth straight Misery Monday. Actually, that's not true in terms of scheduling because there's been some Thursday night games, the, the Thanksgiving game, etc. Uh, but, but the fifth straight loss for the Commanders. This one, one of the most boring inconsequential, nondescript games that I can remember covering until the very last little bit when all of a sudden we have ourselves a new data point in the quarterback conversation that changes things, question mark. It's what we'll be making sense of the entire week, and it is certainly where we start with first and ten. It's time to get the breakdown started. First up, 10 observations. It's first and 10. The fit of Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell wasn't designed to win football games, and the guise of growth and development was all very nonsensical. In hindsight, in my opinion. Let's unpack that very loaded statement. I do not have the fancy numbers right now. Anthony, if you want to help me out with the fancy numbers, I don't know if you have access to them, but this computer over here is being being a butthead. Uh, but th- this is where we're going to start and where we'll spend most of our time to get started. Um, here's the thing. I think Sam Howell can be a, a solid NFL quarterback. I think Eric Bieniemy is a good offensive coordinator, but... I do not think either is elite, and I think for non-elite coaches and coordinators uh, and quarterbacks especially, but really all players, fit is essential. If Sam Howell was inserted to the Detroit Lions starting lineup and got to hand the ball off as often as Jared Goff does, or if he was asked to do what Brock Purdy is doing in San Francisco, um what Gardner Minshew was asked to do in, in Indianapolis. I'm trying to pick a variety of places so it doesn't feel like I'm just loving up on the same coaches and staffs that are the best in the NFL in Detroit and San Francisco this year to 10-win teams. Um, or, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan. Oh, he's the, people are sick of hearing about Kyle Shanahan, right? And it's not like Brock Purdy wouldn't be better. Uh, it's not like Sam Howell would be better than Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's playing that system as well as you can. Um, He's elevating it, but he's not asked to do the kinds of things that Sam Howell is asked to do here. And the reason that we have been given all season long is that it's in Sam's best interest for development and also they're trying to win football games. And it's just a stupid plan. I have no nicer way to say it. Um, I could. I probably could come up with something that's more elegant and more less direct, but it's just a stupid freaking plan. And I'm tired of being like treated uh, by the people who are supposed to be smarter. Like I'm the one who's wrong here. They're four and 10 and the quarterback is going backwards and he looks shell shocked and it looks like he's regressed. I actually don't know that the performance was as bad as it felt coming out of yesterday because there were a couple of key drops and some things that I, upon second watch, you're like, was it that bad? But it wasn't good. He, and at the end of the day, the results are the results. They're 4-10. He threw for 102 yards. Jacoby Brissett came in and threw for more yards and less than half the passes and got the leading receiver involved and the first-round pick from last year, two guys who are having awful seasons based off the comparison of what we thought they could be. 
McLaurin, a near 1,500-yard receiver if things went the way we thought they could. Dotson, a guy who would be pushing 1,000 and maybe 80 receptions on the year. He's been a ghost. And the idea that this is somehow okay because in the long run, it's worth it, or that this was a feasible plan to win football games is nuts. And, you know, that's going to come back on, well, you thought they were going to be good. Yeah, I did because I didn't think they'd be stupid enough to do this. I just, I can't believe that we are here. I cannot believe that people that are paid millions of dollars to coach NFL football took a quarterback in Sam Howell, who is super talented from an arm strength standpoint, seems to have his head on straight, is willing to work his tail off, but has flaws, has things that need to be massaged out because he's a young player. And that's what happens at that position. And they were like, We're going to have you throw the ball more than anyone else in the league. And we're going to run the same stuff every weekend so defenses sit on it. And it just gets harder and harder every single week. And it's going to hang our defense out to dry, although they haven't helped themselves. And it it just is nonsense. And the idea was that, oh, well, he's going to see a lot of different stuff because he's going to throw so many times. Do we think this is good for Sam Howell? Who thinks that Sam Howell's on the right track right now? Nobody. Nobody. This isn't the way to do it. And I've been screaming about this since like week three. And I just, I feel both validated and angered by it. And to be honest, like, I don't know. I I wasn't this angry before the show. I didn't think this would turn into like a full-on rant. But here we are. Just, I'm, maybe this has been inside me since watching yesterday. And just seeing Brissett do it, you're like, yeah, because that dude knows what it's like to play at NFL speeds. That dude knows what it's like to deal with a crap offensive line or at least one that's that's at the very least league average. By the time it got to Brissett yesterday, like he knew, oh, God, Gates is back in there at center. Uh, Charles Leno's out, although Cornelius Lucas is almost as good, if, and if not on some days, better than Leno anyway. So like, you've, you've got to get the ball out of your hands. And there's an urgency and, a, and an understanding of the timing and the footwork and all this stuff that Brissett has. And even before he came in, I didn't think that was going to happen, but it was the right move. Because um, I don't think at that point you're helping Sam by leaving him in. I actually, for the first time, really wondered what the season would have looked like with Jacoby Brissett. They'd probably have a couple more wins. Um, but there's also some games that Sam was awesome. And this is this is the hard part of trying to weigh all of this. But the idea, and this is the larger thing 1.1 of first and 10. The idea that this was a good idea to either win football games or develop Sam is absolute nonsense. Absolutely, utterly ridiculous. The best way to develop Sam would be what Detroit has done with Jared Goff and what LA did with Jared Goff to limit his impact on the game as much as you possibly can so that he learns to understand things and he sees things in smaller doses and can learn week to week and grow out of things and and to insulate him from a roster standpoint with a better offensive line and some of the things that he needs to succeed at this point in a very young, albeit promising, career. You can't just throw a guy to the wolves. There's a reason that when you... you uh, teach a kid how to ride a bike you don't just throw him out there on a 12 speed you're like no man we're gonna give you training wheels and then i'm gonna hold you and then eventually you learn how to do it 
Like, if you learn to box, you're not going to get in the ring with 1992 Mike Tyson and just go at it. It's not how you get learn how to box. It's how you get your ass kicked. And that's basically what they did to Sam Howell. It's like, hey, man, it's the NFL. Go out there and do it. There are ways to have training wheels on in the NFL. There are ways to hold guys so the bike doesn't tip over in the NFL. And they did none of it this year. None of it. And this is the result. And it just feels like such a wasteful season, such a wasteful way to operate because it just, it so obviously doesn't have to be this way. And all you have to do is look around. <sighs> Apparently, I need to get that off my chest. Uh, Anthony, if we have it, number two, please. Number two. When it comes to Sam himself, the footwork and timing is still incredibly inconsistent. I mean, there are times he, like, takes the snap and there's, like, a pause. And then he rushes the drop back. And you're like, that's not how you do the timing. You don't make one too slow and then one too fast. There needs to be an easiness. Because the way a West Coast offense is designed is your feet match the pattern. And sometimes on a three, like, there's a drop. And it could be a three-step and the ball's out now. It could be a five-step and the ball's out to your second guy. Or it could be a five-step and a hitch or five-step and two hitches and the ball is out to, to later down the progression or your check down and or your check down. And that timing is all off with Howell. And it's why it doesn't feel like he's made a play on schedule in forever. He actually made a few more yesterday and I realized, again, that second watch felt very different than the first watch because it's less emotional. You're less riding the wave of the game and more of just like, okay, what happened here? But it wasn't good by any stretch. And there's just a lot of... A lot of stuff that you're just like, I think this should be better by now. But it's hard, too, because, one, I don't think he trusts the line in front of him. And he's never going to say that. And he might not, like, feel that emotionally. But, like, subconsciously, there's a lack of trust there. And I also don't think he sees the field particularly well, which could be a height thing. It could be a NFL adjustment. He's still young, less than a season's worth of start thing. Um and then I don't think he trusts his receivers either. And why would he? There was another bunch of drops yesterday or, you know, he swings a ball out wide to Antonio Gibson and Gibson bobbles it and what should be a seven, eight yard gain becomes a two yard gain because he doesn't catch it clean. And there's things like that all over the field. I mean, he drills John Bates in the chest with what would have been a nice chain mover. Um, I mean, they got screwed on the McLaurin PI down the field. Like, there's, there's all kinds of yardage that's just left on the field that's not on Howell yesterday. And that probably cycles and, and makes it feel worse for him that leads to a bunch of yardage that's left off the field. That is on him. And whether it's missing guys, Nikki Javala had a... Uh, on, the, on the fourth down conversion, Nikki uh, did a good job of watching the tape and seeing that even though it was a beautiful, like, crazy improv play by Sam to, to Terry... If in timing, he just hits Jonathan Williams on the wheel route, he walks in with a Cooper Cup-esque amount of space. Stuff like that seemingly every week at this point. It's just the feel, the vision, the timing, the rhythm. None of it's there. And it's uh, it's not good. All right. That is uh, the start of First and Ten. We will continue it next with some other quick hitter thoughts, including just some epic failures on display when it comes to Ron Rivera, both head coach and NGM. We'll get to it all next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Also streaming live on YouTube at 
the Team 980. We start the show every victory or misery Monday, in this case a misery Monday, with first and ten, first segment, ten observations. Uh, and we pick up with number three. Uh, yesterday, yet another example of just the lack of cohesiveness in a roster built by Ron Rivera, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They bring in Scott Turner with Ron back in 2020, and they're like, we have this big-arm quarterback, this McLaren kid seems pretty good, like, we're going to be a big down-the-field passing team, and then obviously they they transition from Dwayne Haskins through whatever else they went through that year, eventually to Alex Smith, and then they're like, we got to run the football more, and then there was like this epic war for two years between uh, seemingly Rivera and Turner about running the football that eventually Ron won, and they come out of last year, and they're like, we have got to run the football more. And then what did they do? They hired Eric Bieniemy, the most pass-happy offensive coordinator in the league. And they kept building the roster all the while like they wanted to run the football. I mean, think back to last year, Trey Turner and Andrew Norwell. Those guys, not mobile, not good pass protectors, big honking, run-blocking, 330-pound guards, and that's what they did in Carolina. And this is not Carolina. The personnel doesn't match and they draft Brian Robinson because they want to be a smash mouth football team and they keep passing the ball and so they keep every offseason seemingly want to run the run the ball and they get their personnel that matches that like Andrew Wiley as a run blocker this year is graded out very well Andrew Wiley is a pass protector obviously leaves something to be desired same thing with the left side of the offensive line Charles Leno's run block win rate is very very high his pass block win rate actually is not that bad but he's had a bunch of high profile mistakes that have cost them sacks and, and whatever else. So you can't build a team one way and then operate it the other and expect it to work. And that's exactly what they've done offensively. And it is not surprising considering how bad Rivera has been in general with the roster building um, defensively too, right? You know, the William Jackson example being the prime way. Uh, as for the last thing on the offense. Number four. Uh the drops, I mentioned this already, the drops were worse than I remembered, um, and it definitely would have helped because there were some times earlier in the game where Sam was back there and, like, more in rhythm, some confidence, his body language looked good, he's ripping throws, and they just, and they didn't get the conversions that they should have. The Bates drop, and maybe that ball was tipped, in fairness to John, but, like, that's a big one over the middle that he makes a great throw on, and it is dropped. Uh, and late in the second quarter, Curtis Samuel has a drop. Antonio Gibson had that that ball that I mentioned that he bobbled that should have been like a bigger gain, but he bobbles it. It's it's not the best throw, but it's an easily catchable ball that if he just catches it cleanly and turns up field, you get a nice little gain. Instead, he bobbles and barely catches it before rolling out of bounds for a gain of two. Not included on that is the interception. Um, that is a brutal throw from Howell. Just trying to do way too much across his body. He's got two guys in front of him, too, that are easy completions at any point that he's rolling out. Um, and instead, he throws the ball back across his body to Terry. And while, yes, Terry tips it up and makes it a fairly easy pick, if Terry doesn't get a hand on it, there's a defender right behind him that it hits him in the chest. And by the way, I you know I started to text Logan a little bit earlier, and I was like, am I crazier? Did Sam have a better day than than we remember? And then I kept watching and, and started to think a little bit more. I mean, he got so lucky on that ball that he throws up the sideline to Terry that that's not picked. That was a gift that one defender broke up from another. Both, either one of them could have very easily had a pick. There's plenty of other stuff. It's, uh, Sam, Sam was not good yesterday. 
But his PFF grade came in at like a 50-something, which is higher than I was expecting. And so relative to what I felt coming out of the game, where I thought he might have graded out as like a 30, um, I guess it's better, but it wasn't it wasn't good. That is for sure. Number five. The Cameron Cheeseman stuff. I just wrote Cheeseman in the rundown. Um, if you don't know, Cameron Cheeseman, the long snapper, has, has been cut today. Uh, they've got a short list of replacements that they should have gone to. In August, I did. I spent more time on Cheeseman than anyone else. At least I hope I did. If someone spent more time on him than me than the preseason, then God, God bless them. But I was just like, you don't have to do this. And yet, Ron Rivera, because they traded up for him and they drafted him and whatever, and they liked his velocity on his snaps, which is elite. They were like, I'll ah, work it out. He'll work it out. No, he wasn't. He didn't work it out. He's he's. Not good, not NFL caliber, not professional. And you know what I feel bad for? I feel bad for Cameron Cheeseman in a way because he's going to get a bunch of vitriol that if Ron had just does his, done his job, Cameron Cheeseman can move on with his life. And Cheeseman is, has been stand-up. He's apparently a great dude, um, been professional, always stepped up and been like, hey, I'm accountable. Ask me whatever questions you want. I'll answer them. And... The problem is he kept having to do it, and the coach didn't cut him to the point that after the game yesterday where he knew he was done, he's like, honestly, most places I wouldn't have, I wouldn't still be here. When he knows it, why Why is Ron the last guy to, maybe doesn't, not the last guy to know, but he's certainly the last guy to do anything about it, and that's just ridiculous for a long snapper. Again, all due respect to the position, all due respect to Cameron Cheeseman, but there's enough dudes out there that you didn't have to do this, and it damn near got Tressway hurt. Speaking of... Number six. There should have been a roughing penalty on that play. The, the snap is terrible. Tress pounces on it, and he's laying there on the ground, and the Rams dude just jumps on top of him and smashes him in the head. That was ridiculous to not get a penalty flag called. Um, and But the defense did a good job of holding after, so that's... That's nice. Number seven. Um, the 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 cap, the cherry on top of the Cameron Cheeseman debacle yesterday, and sl- which is really the Ron Rivera debacle, is the end of that game, and just how terribly Ron and Eric Bieniemy, and to an extent Jacoby Brissett, managed that. Um, to get down to the one-yard line with almost five minutes to go, I think it was 440 on the clock, and not score until underneath the two-minute warning because you, your play calling is a nightmare. Your uh, your clock management is worse. Your execution's not good enough. It's just a joke. It's I mean, that's hard to do, to spend that much time at the one-inch line. And the fact when you know they call the the QB sneak for from reset from like the one yard line, he doesn't get in. They're now two inches away. One of those were like when the center resets the ball to snap it after it was laying flat on the ground. The tip of the ball is like over the goal line. They're that close. Brissett is that big. Just run it again. Instead, they go to shotgun at that point. What are we doing? And all the while, you're huddling. You're making substitutions. You're you have no urgency. You're snapping the ball with five seconds or less on the play clock. What a joke that was. Concluding with number eight. Then you don't go for two. 
The easiest analytics-supported decision that exists, go for two when you're down 14. We just saw this work for Tennessee to win a game, and you do it on a day where your long snapper has shown the yips, and he has another low snap. You, you, you get the extra point blocked. What a disaster. That was also just perfectly poetic. Ugh. Last two things. Number nine. The defense actually did more than enough to win yesterday, especially with how they played in the first half. The offense gave them squad douche in terms of support and, in fact, gave them a couple of short fields. They forced turnovers. They, yes, Stafford started, what was it, like 10 for 10, 12 for 12. I remember hearing 9 for 9 at the very least in the broadcast at one point. Stafford was fantastic yesterday and accurate, and he makes quick decisions and gets the ball out, and that makes it easy to get completions. But they bent but didn't break, which is how this thing is designed. They weren't going to be good. It's this defense. They've been historically bad, but they were better. And I think Rivera, while he deserves blame for all this other stuff, deserves whatever credit you get for simplifying things. Uh, It'd be nice if BSJ and Cam Curl could figure out who was supposed to carry that wheel route up the sideline. But, hey, one coverage bust is better than four. Um, And, you know, they got some sacks yesterday. Like, they, they played better and had they had any support from the offense, they would have played well enough to win. Unfortunately, they didn't get that. But the one giant defensive mystery to wrap this thing up is... Number 10. Where the hell was Emmanuel Forbes yesterday? He played six snaps. This whole final quarter of the season is about developing and evaluating young guys. And the guy you took in the first round is on the bench for all but six snaps? Like... I know Kendall Fuller and BSJ are your starters, but wrote like if you could rotate Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul, you could rotate one of your corners in so that your first round pick gets more than six snaps. The only reason this is the last thing on the list is because he, I know he's coming off an injury. Maybe he wasn't quite ready. Maybe something in one of those earlier snaps uh, bothered him and he came out. Rivera didn't say anything today along those lines, but damn, man, that's... That's inexplicable with where they are in the season. Which, by the way, is inexplicable to be where they are in the season. That is first and 10 here on the Hoffman Show. When we get back, Logan and I had an extensive conversation about Sam Howell's day and the immediate aftermath of it last night. You'll hear it take command on a Monday next on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. So uh, we do a Take Command instant reaction show, as you likely know by now, on YouTube the night after games or the right after uh, the games. That's why it's called the instant reaction show. It's also in your audio feeds for Take Command on Monday mornings. And if you don't subscribe, well, one, what are you waiting for? Two, uh, lucky you, you get to hear just part of our show now. Logan Paulson and I discussing the main topic yesterday, of course, which is the benching of Sam Howell and try to make sense of it moving forward. Here we go on a Monday. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into the Take Command post-game show. I am Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And uh, Logan, that went to me uh, as the Commanders, uh, it's the Instant Reaction Show, of course, Commanders, lose to the Los Angeles Rams out in L.A. 
That went from one of the least interesting, least compelling, least mattering games that the Commanders have played since probably 2019, frankly, uh, the last time they were really, really bad in a season. But even those games down the stretch, you know, you're evaluating Dwayne Haskins, uh, who was a first round pick a uh, weekend and week out to one of the more interesting that they've played all season. Um, Jacoby Brissett comes in, two touchdown passes. He threw in 10 minutes more passing yards than Sam Howell, the NFL's leading passer coming into the week, did the entire game. And all of a sudden, the offense on time and running through Terry McLaurin, who had, I think I heard the broadcast say, a career-high receiving day in 141 yards, um, it became one of the most interesting games that they've played this season. My, uh, I think our charge now is to try to make sense of it. What did we just see out in Los Angeles? Ron has already said Sam's the starter moving forward, so it's not like we saw a quarterback change, at least allegedly. We'll see uh, if he, he still feels that way tomorrow. And based off the, the circumstances of the season, that seems unlikely. But what did we just see out in Los Angeles? Yeah, and I think uh, that's a really good question. And it's something that we're going to be talking about probably this entire week, and everyone's going to be talking about it. Um, and I think just, just sitting back and taking a look at it, um, it was one of those games early on where I was like, I wonder if this looks different with Jacoby at the quarterback. That's probably like the first quarter when I was watching the game. Yeah, And it just like, it's one of those things, like if you're looking for like warning signs, like ev if everything's off schedule, if he's always vacating the pocket, if he's pitter-patting the football, those aren't great signs. And there were signs of that against uh, Miami. But as we did, as we went through the film, we kind of realized like Miami, there's some tight window throws. There's some opportunity to throw with anticipation. Doesn't quite get there. But that's something that's been on my radar probably since the the the, the Dallas game where it's like, how, how off schedule is Sam actually in this offense? And, uh, you know, we won't have a definitive answer on this until we watch the film, which comes out on Wednesday. When's that podcast come out, Craig? Wednesday? Yeah, we recorded Tuesday morning. Sometimes we'll throw up a clip on YouTube Tuesday afternoon, but in the audio form Wednesday morning. Yeah, so it's hard to say what exactly we saw, but this was definitely something that's been like, I think why everyone's had a little bit of consternation about the Sam Howell is the guy kind of declarative statements, especially coming down the home stretch of the season is he... He just hasn't been on schedule. And if you were to watch his throws today and his and his offensive production, you took took away the name Sam Howell and inserted another, you know, kind of young quarterback. I think you'd be like, hey, this guy's gonna be a fine backup, but this isn't this isn't the production that we're looking for from the position. And <clears throat> that's really hard to kind of um juxtapose, I guess, or compare to the stuff that you saw earlier in the season. So in terms of what actually we saw, we won't know probably definitively until uh, Tuesday or Wednesday when we post those uh, those clips up. But um, as of right now, man, I think um, it was the right decision, at least in this game, to kind of sit him down. And, you know, you can say whatever, you know, you can say it was for health and safety or whatever it was, but it just, he wasn't, at least to my eye, you know, he wasn't playing as well as he's played and um, he was hurting the offense and, you know, give Jacoby a shot. And um, I think in the context of Jacoby playing more, the offensive line looked like they were playing a little bit better he was able to kind of throw with some anticipation, throw some guys open, make some plays. And I think it's unfair to say that it's, you know, it's a one-to-one -one corollary because, you know, there's times where Sam's throwing to Terry earlier in the game that don't get completed. Here, Terry makes some plays and it looks a little bit different. And I think that's also something that needs to be noted. It's not just, it's not just we're running the offense through Terry now and this is the product. It's like Terry had some opportunities earlier that didn't quite hit. And here we go. Jacoby gets two explosive plays to Terry. And I think that's, 
you know, probably like 75 yards of, of offense from, from those two plays. So it's not like it was this dramatic difference, but I do think it is significant. It just depends on how significant or insi- how, how significant um, it is when you watch the film. Yeah. I mean, you have your first 40 plus yard play to a wide receiver all season um, with that, that 48 yard bomb to Terry. I mean, it's just, it's tough because we didn't like what Sam did earlier this season, like the progression is wild, right? Early, pretty good. A um, lot of sacks, but a lot of really good stuff. And he go through these stretches where he's on fire. I mean, second half against Denver, um, some of the stretches against Philadelphia, like big boy NFL quarterback throws. He's making crazy. And I think the thing that always impressed me during the stretches were, was his demeanor. He was always calm. He was always collected, even through the sacks. They didn't seem to phase him. And then it got to a point where it felt like he was the only thing going for this offense and that he was actually the one elevating it. And then kind of Dallas, Miami today, it goes from he's elevating it to, wow, this is nope, nope. Like, I don't even know what it's not even he's killing it. It's just like there's nothing here. Right. Um, receivers don't seem to be doing anything. There's just like no cohesion. It's just a bunch of guys out there running around. And that actually probably was like, that's what it felt like thing is when you go back and watch the tape for a lot of those, you start to get back to some of the stuff that I think was there earlier in the year on the warning signs that everyone didn't want to hear because there was also the good stuff. It's like, Hey, if this ball comes out when he hits his back foot and the anticipate, like he'd be throwing with anticipation and a ball would be completed. And if everything's off schedule, in an NFL offense that is this proven to be successful, like the enemy's system uh, is the same as Kansas city system, the same as what Doug Peterson is running. Like all these guys have proven this system works time and time again. Eventually you have to go back to the quarterback and be like, well, why isn't working with you? Like, what is it about what you're doing, your decision-making process and your timing? And is this young guy stuff that's going to get better, which is I think how we felt most of the year, or are you just not cut out for this? And I think, What's scary is instead of growing, instead of progressing in the right direction off the good stuff earlier this year, the good stuff has gone away of late and the bad stuff has remained and even enhanced. And that is terrifying because you have a massive decision to make moving forward for this organization of whether or not you use a top five pick, which doesn't come around very often on a quarterback, or do you build around this one? And as a data point, like this game could be something that changes that decision. I don't, I don't mean to be dramatic or overstate things. It's just this was supposed to be the game that, that it was his get-right game. This was supposed to be the game that he turned it around against a defense that's not as good as the last two he's played. And instead, he played arguably his worst game of the year. Yeah, and I think that's <clears throat> I think that's one of the reasons why it's so compelling is it is like what is actually happening. And um, how how do people who are making decisions look at this game? Really, you know, and I and I think um, anytime you get bench as a quarterback, it's not great. But I do think that there is statistical variance at play, and you kind of look at the stuff early and you say, "Hey, is this is this high end variance that he was riding kind of a good statistical variance for five six games, and now he's kind of settling into more what he is?" Because uh, you know, it's so funny, like all the, of the the commentary and the things you're thinking about and the um, the conversations you've had with people and you kind of say, Hey, um, you know, like these concepts were a little bit more open earlier in the year. And now he's got to throw with more anticipation. He's got to throw with better accuracy. And I think back to when I was evaluating coming out of college and I was always a little bit leery of his anticipation and his accuracy. And 
here we are and that seems to be a big issue for him so and it's and it's so easy to have that confirmation bias in moments like this and i also got to remind myself like it's one game right it's not the end of the world just yet but it it is to say that it's insignificant i think is probably um undermining its magnitude and i think it when you look at the last couple of games you kind of say this was the trend this is a trend and now how significant is that trend it's hard to tell because you know we watched the miami game really closely and i look at that and i say some of that's not on him like i don't care how you cut it some of it's right. not on him i look at the dallas game and i said oh he left opportunities on the field even though i thought he played really well and so now what is this like where does this fit in the narrative and to me it when I was watching it, when you're watching it live, you just felt that that kind of second year quarterback, you know, a guy that it was a little bit too big for, a little bit too fast for, the windows were a little bit too tight. And he, did he make some plays? Absolutely. But you got to make stuff on schedule in offense. You got to throw with anticipation. And I will say that when you look at what Jacoby did, I think it's great. But also you're getting a very different defense and a very different defensive motivation at that point. I think you're getting more of a kind of let's let's secure the win let's let's preserve the win excuse me as opposed to let's be aggressive and dictate um and dictate to the offense so i think that's something that um that really sticks out to me and again like i can't wait to watch the film because i think you're gonna get a lot of very um you know like a much clearer picture of what actually was going on but i don't think that the the benching was was on accident you know what i mean i I think or you know to protect him i think he wasn't playing um, he wasn't playing great and, uh, they needed to do something to kind of spark the offense. Yeah, I think it was twofold. And Ron said after the game that it was to protect him. He's like, you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't playing well and, you know, didn't seem like he had a feel for the game. So we just yeah. we pulled him and, um, but I also think you owe it to the rest of the offense at that point. If your quarterback is, you know, and again, this is a one game comment that I'm about to make, but if your quarterback is playing that poorly, you owe it to the rest of the guys to give them a shot. Like Jacoby Brissett's a good football player. And, you know, I haven't forgotten that. You haven't forgotten that. And I think today, anyone that might have forgotten that uh, is reminded that Jacoby Brissett is a good NFL football player. He's not great. Obviously, if he was a larger sample size, like it's not like if if he was the quarterback of this team, they would have won 10 games this year. But he's a good NFL football player, and he understands like the timing of an NFL offense in a, in a really nice way that he's able to come in and he's like, all right, the ball's got to be out now. And he yeah. got it out. And, and you get the ball and he, like Jahan all of a sudden is is a part of the game. Terry's a much bigger part of the game. The offensive line looks better and he just elevates everyone around to the point that like, I know Ron already said that he uh, is going back to being the backup next week and Sam's going to be the starter, but I'm almost tempted to be like, Jacoby, you're going to get one game where Sam's going to be the starter again, but I want Sam to see how this offense looks with you in there for a full game. And hope to God that Jacoby goes out and at least operates at a high level, even if they don't win or whatever else happens. But like, show him that if the thing happens on time, good things happen. Um, so, I, I mean, that that sounds good in, in theory. The, the idea that it would work in practice is a bit silly, especially against the quality of defense that you're going to face next week and a very ticked off Jets team. Um, as long as they haven't quit, because uh, they lost thirty to nothing today. But I think on a larger picture, Logan, the, the concern that I have with Howell is, is he all of a sudden David Carr? Like, is the shell shock of being sacked now 59 times after he took another one today? Like, do you see that in him on top of the second year, it's too fast, where he, he had that, I mentioned earlier, that kind of um, demeanor mentality. Like, we love the makeup all year long. Doesn't look like the same guy right now to me. 
Yeah, but <clears throat> I mean, I, why do you say that? Why doesn't he look the same to you? I think would be my there, question. There was a confidence that he played with, where he, there was a resiliency that he played with, and now it feels like he's guessing. Where he's well, like, I, I'm back here. Okay, I'm going to run now. And like, yeah. he doesn't have confidence in to just do the thing that he's supposed to do. Well, I think that's the thing that sticks out to me about the last couple of games and, you know, from earlier in the season as well, too, is that like when you're playing and again, he was making some really nice throws, like big time throws and all those big time throws have kind of eroded from the game. So and I think those big time throws do a lot because they keep you on the field in certain situations. They kind of build some momentum. They build the play callers momentum. But I think even when they played Philadelphia and stuff like when they were getting in these three and out situations and it was getting a little bit stymied, a little bit static. Like the offense just didn't look good, and it just kind of—I feel like that whole, that whole—you um, know—if Sam's not making a play in the context of an offense, which is true of any offense, if the quarterback's not making a play, everything looks a little bit stagnant because they don't run the football a ton. They don't have all these things to alleviate the pressure on him the same way like San Fran does, for example. So he, I think as he's played less effectively, the offense has looked worse, and it's. I think the other thing that's interesting about Sam is that I feel like it's kind of the same thing. It's the same guy. It's the same offense, but everything's a little bit tighter. So he doesn't throw it with the same level of confidence. Like there were times earlier this season where you see huge throwing windows and you see good space and you see good um, distribution of concept. And I think as the season's gone on, people said, well, shoot, if this is what you're going to run, we're going to match it a little bit better. And you're going to have to make some big time throws or some some NFL caliber throws, which you see from Jacoby today. You see him fitting a tight window throw to an out to Jahan, which is like, I don't think, I don't think uh, Sam at any point this season would make a throw like that. Like, I don't think he's just, I don't think he's comfortable enough with it. Right. You see the one to Curtis where he's running the, the sit and Jacoby extends it and it's tight, man. He's, it's almost like he's forcing it in, into a window, but it's, that's NFL open, especially against really good matching defenses. And, um, and that was something that we talked about in the Miami game quite a bit. That's something we talked about in the Dallas game quite a bit is, this is open in the NFL, and do you, and you have to make these throws. And so the fact that he's not doing that, or he didn't do that now, I think it's been it's been looming for a couple of weeks. So I think when you say that it, I don't see the same guy, I, th- I think this is something he struggled with, even when he was playing well. Is if it's not like open, open, he's probably yeah. not going to let it rip. He's not as confident in it. And as the season's gone on, those windows have just gotten a little bit tighter. The anticipation needs to be greater. The accuracy needs to be greater. And he just he doesn't have the the luxury of the space that was there early in the season and i think that's this is the result of some of that stuff yeah it's it's interesting cuz i feel like there was some commentary over the last week and a half or so about oh you got you know you got to keep the enemy and and howl together to me this just kind of proves like these two are not it's nothing personal against either of them but like they're not the right fit together um you look at the way quarterbacks are supported in other places and i think that's what if like howl's your guy you need a system that's more supportive of the quarterback. And that's not to say that this system is bad, right? It's the best system in the world if you have Patrick Mahomes, if you had Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, what Sean runs in LA, frankly, with with Stafford is very quarterback heavy. We right. talked about that in the preview show and, and in the pregame show. Certain systems require a lot from the quarterback. This one requires a lot from the quarterback. This is a young quarterback. I won't even say the fifth round pick thing, but he's a young quarterback with certain flaws um, that are going to have to be massaged out of his game over time. And if you support him like Jalen Hurts has been supported in Philadelphia, then you can do that massaging over time. But if you throw him to the Wolves every single week, like eventually you're going to get this. And, and I think that like that's the the hard part is, you know, I, 
ask you why these windows have gotten tighter, why things aren't as open as they were earlier in the season, but I think I know the answer, and that's this offense hasn't really changed that much in a way that like you need to evolve over the course of a season. They run a lot of the same stuff. Defenses are all over it. And if you have Mahomes, it's fine because you just can't stop it. It's it's good enough for that. But if you have Sam Howell, the lack of a running game, the lack of window dressing, the lack of this, the lack of that puts a quarterback in this kind of bind. And again, like it's not that EB's a bad coach. It's not that Sam is the worst quarterback that's ever come out uh, and, and all these terrible things that people are going to want to say after a performance like this. And then you see Jacoby come in and do what he does. It's just a bad fit. And I think that's that's a huge part of their offensive struggles in 2023 is the the play calling and the offense being tailored or specifically not tailored to a young quarterback. Yeah, and I think that's somewhat... This, this is where like areas of gray come in. I think mm-hmm. it's unfair to say that it's a bad fit because you've seen it be very successful for five, six weeks, seven weeks in the NFL season. And that's hard to do with any quarterback, right, is to have some level of success and see him making big-time throws. I, I do think that you know, with all offenses, defenses are getting smarter, they're getting more efficient, and stuff's getting a little bit tighter, right? But there is like when you watch – Stafford you know when he's dealing and like it's a tight you know like it's is that guy open I don't know let's get the ball out like that's the kind of maturation that we're talking about and the other thing I would just say and this is stuff that you don't know and this I just want to bring it to to, to fans attention because we're talking about EB's not innovating right and it's so easy for us to say oh that we'd like to see more creative stuff more motions more checks to the line of scrimmage whatever but he's also maybe developing a young quarterback and maybe these are the concepts that Sam likes and he he feels comfortable throwing and he can read them and you have to run them more frequently because this is what he does well Mm -hmm. and I think that's always important to just remember is like we don't know we're not at the meeting like I I don't know what Sam is what Sam's feel comfortable with but if I'm the coordinator you better believe I'm like Sam what do you what do you like and we're going to call the heck out of it and if this is what he likes and this is consistently what he likes like this is what I'm going to call and so it could yeah. it could go both ways, right? I, I definitely. Well, think, I guess like, my question on that point though would be like, at what point do you go like, hey, I know you like this, but the defense knows you like this, and it's not working anymore. We got to do something else. Yeah, so I think that that that's that's the conundrum, right? Is like if I as a as a play caller, I, I think that is uh, is somewhat challenging. Like you look at Kyle, and they have a ton of verbiage, they have a ton of formations, they put a ton on the quarterback mentally to give him easy throws, right? But even in those, even like it's funny, man. Like I've been with Kyle for a lot of my career, you know, over fifty percent of my career, and we hit games where the defense would just have us. They just have our number, mm-hmm. and then the quarterback couldn't elevate us out of whatever the situation was. And they always talk about like like uh, Patrick Mahomes elevating, and then I think now with Brock Purdy in San Fran, how he elevates elements of the offense. Oh, this thing that was supposed to be open is now covered. Let me do a little bit of dealing. Let me throw a nice ball over here into a tight window with accuracy, which is something that other quarterbacks in the system traditionally haven't done well, right? And so, like, that's him elevating the offense. Even though, you know, seven, 70% of the games you play in, that first read is open and you can just let it rip, there's that 30% where it doesn't look very good. And I think you're running into that maybe a little bit here too. It's like, hey, like, this was good early. It's not good now. And sometimes they just got you. And I think it's about how you – to your point, how as an offensive coordinator, you tweak and evolve to kind of match what the defense to, to, to give the defense something different to deal with. That's what Kyle would always do. But there's always the opportunity that, hey, they got us this week and you as a quarterback have to elevate. And that's the thing about this matchup, which I think is so interesting. I'm talking to Kobe and Sam is 
did Jacoby do anything tremendous? Like, did he, or was he just executing throws at an NFL level that yeah. we haven't seen Sam do? And if that's the the little bit of elevation that this offense needs to make it functional, because if that's the case, then I think that's a pretty significant indictment of Sam. And I, and again, fans are going to be freaking out about this. Fans of Sam Howell, it's one game. It's 10 throws by Jacoby, so we're not overstating. But these are things in the decision-makers' minds that are totally. now coming to the forefront. It's just like, well, maybe this issue that we thought was getting corrected is more significant than we thought. Maybe he can't elevate and can't do some of the basic stuff at the NFL that we thought he was going to be able to do at this point of the year. And if, and if those 10 throws that Jacoby had show that, then I think that's a completely different animal. And the other thing is, how does he handle this adversity coming out mm. of this? So. Yeah, and the problem is, is like some of the things that I think could help support him aren't available. Like, you know, I I've always loved the Hurts example that you've given and used is like Jalen has this offensive line that helps yeah. him a ton and they run the ball really well and they don't have either of those things here. And so if you're not operating at NFL speed, making these NFL throws with NFL anticipation, you're just dead. And like, that's the the problem i know you might not like the word problem here but like the issue the whatever yeah. with the, the setup here is like they're skating on thin ice and you know when you talk about uh you know one game this it's like no at this point you know, they're four and four yeah. and ten they're eliminated from the playoffs officially with this loss as well so it's happened time and time and time again obviously they've lost many different ways the defense earlier in the year was was terrible in games they should have uh won where they did enough offensively um, so there's that. I, I just, it's really frustrating. Um, and I, and I, I think the, the Jalen Hurts example is also interesting because it's not like they just got great personnel. It's like they built an offense that spoke to his skill right. set. You know what I mean? They right. said, oh, we're going to run the ball a little bit more with the quarterback. And they, there were games where he was running the ball 14, 15 times a game. And that's enough to steal first downs. We talked about Daniel Jones last year and what Brian Dayball and Kafka did with him up there in New York in terms of just finding finding easy opportunities with he, either he's running or on keeper where he keeps it and he runs and we're just stealing first downs possessing the football that helps the play caller too so i think there's i understand what you're saying in terms of it being problematic but it's also the thing that i go back to is like let's say again in these 10 opportunities it's not a big sample size but it's it's stuff that we've seen over the last three weeks and jacoby's hitting it it's a different it's yeah. a different conversation you know and i right, think but i guess um, that's the point is like sam's not jacoby yeah, right. but I mean, I think is is Sam even? This is I, again, we're and this is me just talking out loud. I, I like Sam. I think he's done some really excellent things. I love the high end play. But is he even Jalen Hurts? You know, is he yeah, even that I mean, kind look, of player? Jalen won MVP last year, so probably. No, but I'm not. saying, but I mean, I'm early career Jalen Hurts is what I'm saying. Yeah. Is he even on that kind of level? I think is what this conversation is lending itself to. Like, does he deserve? Does he deserve to start the rest of the season, or is this a is this a thing where it's like, hey? Let's see how the offense actually runs with somebody who's run an NFL offense before. And that again, I'm I like let me just say this again. I like Sam. I think his ceiling, he's shown a very, very high ceiling. But all young quarterbacks, they go, they'll show you something good and they'll show something bad. And he showed something yeah. bad the last couple of weeks. So I guess I guess my point's more not actually on Sam. It's it's the system. And I don't mean that like the enemy specific system. It's the the environment around yeah. him. Right. Like if you if we rewind to the beginning of the season. And we're like, we would like to win football games, which is very different than a place that you're in right now where you're kind of trying to compete but lose um, because you want the, the top five draft pick, no matter who you wind up taking, quarterback or otherwise. But if you were like, hey, I got I to gotta win as many football games as I can in 2023, this setup 
I don't think was good because of how much it put on a guy who at his absolute best was early career Jalen Hurts, not Jacoby Brissett. Like if, if you wanted to plug Jacoby into the system and, and say, hey, our best chance to win is to start Jacoby and we're going to do that because he can get the ball out on time and he operates an NFL system and we trust him, then okay, maybe. But the the from the play calling to the general philosophy of pass run type of stuff to you know how you built the team offensive line wise like there's a lot of decisions that got made before you even played a game that said hey Sam Howell's gonna have to be pretty spectacular based off of his experience level and the fact that Sam has not done that it, it's hard for me to put that on Sam that doesn't mean that you change the evaluations like oh bad luck kid you're actually our starter moving forward like yeah. you have to be able to hold those two thoughts at once but there's kind of the winning thing, and then there's the Sam thing, and obviously neither right now look very shiny. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't really have anything. I don't have any, I don't have a ton to add, you know. And I think this yeah. is all stuff we we've touched on over the course of the year, and we're in a weird spot now, talking about it on a Sunday after a, a weird loss in L.A. You know, but it's the 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 veins of truth have been kind of there throughout, you know, and um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure that more information will come out when the season ends and, you know, everything is kind of the dust is settled like it always does. But yeah, it, th those were um, uh, interesting decisions early and they still remain interesting decisions. All right. That was from Take Command, which was uh, something we or Logan and I do eat after each and every game. Uh, we got three more post game shows. We also got uh Three more film reviews, I guess four more film reviews, including the one from yesterday. That'll be out Wednesday morning, so make sure you subscribe to Take Command wherever you get your podcast. When we get back, Michael Phillips will join us for a Monday edition of Not My Beat.